This is Cockpits and Cocktails. We use this podcast to share stories and talk about all things aviation and aerospace. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Cheers to you and enjoy. So, Brenda, welcome to the podcast. It's Cockpits and Cocktails. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me to this. Uh, It was hard to say no with a podcast uh, name like that, so it's really (laughs) opportunity. Yeah, we didn't think that you'd be able to have cocktails at work, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say I'm virtually doing one, so. Okay. Well, we are both really excited when we found out, you know, that you were going to be on the show. And, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but we've had a couple of other female military pilots on. Nothing quite like like your career, which is pretty much how everyone is, right? Everyone's got a unique story. So we wanted to share, we let the, our listeners know your kind of your career background and some of the highlights of your career and what you what you do officially, but we'd like to hear from you what you do and how you got to this position and, and, and kind of your background in aviation and the military. Uh, thanks. Uh, so currently I've been in the military for almost 30 years. So there's a long story back there, but the, the big picture of it is currently I'm the director of operations and communications for the air education and training command. So Air Education and Training Command is the part of the Air Force that does all of the initial training for any airman uh, coming into the Air Force. So if you're going to become an officer or enlisted and you come through that kind of basic military training. And then we also do all of the technical training for every job in the Air Force. That includes pilots. Um, and, but it also includes maintenance, um, security forces, uh, finance, cyber, I mean, you name it, any kind of job here. And so I work for the commander uh, overseeing operations for all of that uh, across the Air Force. And um, prior to that, I was the director of operations at Air Force Special Operations Command. So a lot of people are familiar with special operations through the Navy SEALs or Army Rangers and and that type of um, special operations unit. I worked a lot with them and the Air Force has a special operations component to it that flies very specially modified aircraft in in, um, uh, dark, usually under cover of darkness or very difficult profiles. And that's where I spent most of my career and I was the director of operations for that. So that's what I get to do now as kind of a senior level person. And what I enjoy about that is, although I don't get to fly much, uh, except on commercial airliners going to meetings periodically, I do get to uh, create policy and help move resources around so that we can do the best training and the, have open up the best opportunities possible for our younger uh, airmen coming in or, or people who are considering maybe an opportunity to come into the Air Force, whether it's just for a couple of years or, or, or career. Um, but I also wanted, like I was saying, we have air crew training under uh, what I do now. And in the Air Force, we have more than just pilots. So we have multi-place aircraft as well. So we have single seat aircraft like fighters that have j- just a pilot. And then we have multi-seat aircraft that will have a pilot and like a weapon systems operator. 
or um, kind of a backseater. Uh, and we also have larger crew aircraft that have multiple air crew on board. The aircraft I flew, the AC-130 uniform, AC-130U gunship, uh, had 13 people on board, five officers and eight enlisted. And so the other thing a lot of people don't know necessarily about an Air Force <clears throat> uh, career or opportunities in aviation is that you don't have to be an officer uh, to fly in the Air Force. You can come in on the enlisted side and you can be a load, load master, you could be a boom operator on an air refueling uh, uh, aircraft, you can be a sensor operator on some of our manned aircraft that do what we call ISR, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, uh, or what uh, uh, RPAs, remotely piloted aircraft, more commonly known as drones. People mm -hmm. call them drones. Um, the sensor operators on those are enlisted air crew. So uh, the fun thing about the Air Force is that there's a, a bunch of air crew opportunities. There's also um, the command and control big airplanes and that was my first assignment, AWACS, Airborne, Airborne uh, Warning. And now I can't even remember what AWACS stands for. Well, I'm glad oh, that I'm control. struggling with this because yeah. I had to look it up and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, Airborne Warning and Control System. Uh, and it's a big radar, think like an air traffic control in the sky. Uh, and on that, we had 20, between 22 to 40 crew members. It just depended on how long mission was and the duration. But we had radio operators on there. We had um, radar operators. We had air battle managers, weapons directors. So, and these are all flying positions that go across the gamut of rank and background and, uh, you know, desire to serve and in what capacity. So that's, uh, kind of the one over the world of what air crew means when we talk air crew here uh, in the Air Force. But getting here was, uh, most of my career was spent in special operations and in gunships uh, after the, my first tour in AWACS. Yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about all these crews and everything, one of the things that, you know, I know Alyssa and I really love about aviation is that whole family, you feel like you're instantly part of a family. I would think that's how these crews feel with one another. Is that accurate? Oh, totally accurate. Um, I deployed several times downrange and my, uh, my crew was my family and there really is, and that's for better or for worse too. I mean, families, have, you know, you have the, the people that you get along great with in your family and the people you don't, but in the end you come together uh, to share a common purpose. And in, in our case, in the aviation community, the common purpose is mission and getting the mission done and making sure that you do it safely and effectively. And for me, in gunships, we were always supporting special operators on the ground. So we had special ops teams who were depending on us to do our job correctly so that they could do their job on the ground and uh, come back without uh, you know, losing members of the team. So that level of trust was really big. But the family piece of it is, is so important. And just recently, I went back to uh, Florida to retire one of my teammates. Um, he retired after 24 years of service. And like I was uh, you know, talking with you beforehand, I'm in Texas right now for this current assignment, but I've spent most of my career in Florida out of special ops. And going back there last week, 
it was just like homecoming. It was just like a reunion. You, you just, you walked into the group of folks and everybody felt like a brother or a sister. And I loved that. And I thought that is what I really love about the aviation world. And I love also about military service because yeah. anywhere I go in the world, I can meet a, a person in the military and it does not just have to be the air force. It can be any uh, service. And there's kind of an instant bond there, right? Or people see me walking around in my uniform and they'll come up and say, oh, hi, you know, my mom's in the Air Force or, you know, my grandfather served in the Navy and um, they don't even know who I am, but they immediately feel that connection. And I, I really like that too. Yeah. So that's one of the special things about what we I can do. only imagine, yeah. you know, aviation is so much like that already. And then you add on top of that, just another layer of being military and and there's just these mm -hmm. rich little things and it's just like an instant bond and like you you know what the person has gone through to get where they are or you know you just have that yes. camaraderie aspect of it you you do and that affiliation and and flying is such a magical experience i never lost my sense of awe and wonder you know, every time I get in an aircraft, I appreciate it. And every time I get into a mission aircraft, um, there's just a feeling that you just can't get anywhere else. And it's it's really special. And after, like I said, a, you know, almost a 30 year career in the Air Force that I still get excited about it. And when an airplane flies over, I still look up. <laughs> it was funny with the retirement ceremony I was at <clears throat> last week uh, that I presided over it was outside and they were doing a special flag folding ceremony that they do. And so um, we were watching the flag folding ceremony and a, uh, a C-130 flew over in the pattern, probably at 1500 feet, but it was low right over the top. And I, I stood there at attention. I did not look, but I had to fight the whole time. <laughs> wanting to look up, wanting to look up. I mean, you know, I've seen the C-130 fly over a million zillion times yet yeah. there it is and i want to look so yeah. uh that i've just never lost that just love for for aircraft and flying yeah so, yeah so, so growing up were you around aviation or did the military happen and then aviation or did you know you always wanted to do yeah. that so that's funny uh i didn't think about it at all um <laughs> when i was growing up i was uh not really thinking about going into the military. I did have family that were in the military. My, my dad served a little bit, um, like four years. Uh, he was an engineer, but went into aerospace. And uh, my grandfather served in World War II. Uh, my uncle served in, in rescue in Vietnam. So I had family members. I was uh, aware of the military. And then um, I, my brother was in the Marine Corps and served in the enlistment in the Marine Corps during Desert Storm. I became more interested in it actually after college. When I was in college, I was an intern at a defense contractor during the summer. It was called TRW um, at the time. And my dad worked there. And so I had an internship and I'd go uh, work there a couple months in the summer and I really enjoyed it. And I, I enjoyed the aerospace industry and the contracts and we were working on spacecraft. And so I was really fascinated by that whole side of it. Um, but I worked with a lot of retired Air Force officers, and I really, in talking with them, I felt like their commitment to service and, and serving our nation and what they had done and being involved in flying really started to interest me. And when I 
was in college, I was really involved in student government and student leadership. So I, I kind of had this um, predisposition to service mm -hmm. and then matching that up with the, knowing the retired Air Force uh, people I worked with and then this idea of flying and I thought that also sounds really interesting to me. So it just, it kind of came together then and I decided to go talk to a recruiter and, and see what the situation would be. So um, I was pretty lucky because it was the uh, early 90s and things had changed globally with the fall of the Soviet Union and the Air Force was actually drawing down a little bit. And so they weren't bringing on board a lot of candidates. So I was very, very lucky to get a slot. Um, I went to navigator training and it was interesting because I applied for pilot training, but they didn't, they weren't bringing on any active duty pilots through many. And so I applied and they said, do you want to go? Um, they said, it's not a pilot spot, but it's a navigator. Would you go do that? And I said, what does a navigator do? Are they in an airplane? <laughs> do they fly? <laughs> and they said, yes. And I said, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I just jumped at the chance knowing that there were so few opportunities and uh, it's, it's been terrific ever since. So yeah, I, my first, when I first came in, I think I had about a five-year commitment. So when you do training, you have to stay in for a certain year, number of years based on the training you do. And I had a five-year commitment. And at about that five-year point, I, or four-year point or so, I was like, okay, this was pretty interesting. I, I, I liked it. I was flying in AWACS. It's going overseas a lot. Um, but I almost thought, you know what? I think I might get out of the Air Force, actually, and go get my commercial pilot license mm -hmm. and fly commercially. Um, and I came really close to doing that. But a very good friend of mine said, hey, Brenda, uh, Air Force Special Operations is hiring and they really need uh, crew members to fly this AC-130 gunship, this, this new capability that they had. He, he said, if you're interested, you ought to go do it. And actually, I was very interested in it. And previously, I wouldn't have been able to do it because of the uh, exclusion on women in combat. But that had been that had been changed uh, legislatively, and so I could jump at the chance to do that. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try this. Special ops sounds pretty cool. So uh, I decided to stay in um, and go do another assignment. And I loved it so much. Here I am, you know, uh, wow. at the 30-year point. So there's different times in in your career where you you know, make decisions about whether to continue doing what you're doing or, or change. You know, in my case, I decided to stay with it and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people um, that think about going to the Air Force, like they're, uh, if they don't get a pilot slot, then they kind of turn up their nose and they think, well, that's just not going to be interesting to me. Yeah. And I think there's so much more to do and so much more that you can do and have a very fulfilling, you know, position within aviation and, and the military itself. I have a huge, huge respect and for people that are in the military and there's just something different about people in the military that you just look at them differently. You just like, you just have this respect for me. You think, man, that's really cool that that person uh, has sacrificed and has done that. And you know, it's just mm -hmm. you are on a totally different level. I think don't turn up your nose just because you might not get a pilot slot and think that's mm -hmm. the only position for you because you just don't know if that's the only position for you. Maybe you would be better at something else, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And that's why 
um, I was you know, talking about all the different ways that you can get into aviation um, and in the Air Force, there's uh, several different ways. And, like, and I appreciate you saying that just because you can't get a pilot slot doesn't mean there isn't a really rewarding um, career ahead or just a, an, you know, a few years or something in the training that comes with it. So I've really enjoyed my time and uh, all the crew members I've worked with. Yeah. So did you get your actual pilot's license while you were in the military or was it before? So I'm, I'm a navigator and a fire control officer. Okay. So technically not a pilot. Okay. Um, and so that, that's, again, like there's, an, there's entire career paths through, through the Air Force that are air crew um, versus yeah. pilot. Now, okay. so for me, like I said, coming in, there weren't pilot slots, but I, I still decided I want a career in aviation and, and I want to come into the Air Force and serve. So I jumped at the chance and uh, it turned out to be a very fun and very rewarding opportunity. You know, yeah. so much so that I decided to stay in in a non-pilot position, but flying okay. as opposed to getting out, you know, leaving the military yeah. and just okay. going into the commercial sector. Gotcha. So I, I thought I read in. somewhere that you had your pilot's license. So that's why I asked that. I, I thought, okay, where did she work that in? Okay. Gotcha. My question is, um, you know, you go into the military and you have this five-year commitment of being a navigator or whatever your job is at that point. Um, and then you kind of shifted after that, but you, you know, say you go in as a, you know, a navigator, then you know, what do you transition to, or like you're on an aircraft as crew, mm -hmm. you know, like how do you decide what your next steps are? Do you just apply for the next thing? Or, you know, you're a fighter pilot, like what is your like next thing? Cause a lot of people are like, oh, I'm, I'm a pilot for the air force, but I'm, I fly a desk now. So like, how does that transition or do you just apply for new jobs? Okay, that's a great question. So. Primarily, when you come into the Air Force, you'll have your, your, your crew position or your primary duty. So, I mean, that could be, like I said, it could be in maintenance, it could be in finance, or let's say, you know, for the purposes of the podcast here, your air crew. So you're going to be a pilot. Um, navigators today are called CSOs, combat systems officers. Um, and the, the terminology has changed over time, but pilot remains pilot. So you come in and we train you up to be your primary position. So we'll use pilot in this example. And then you spend the first few years of your career, currently to be a pilot in the Air Force, it's a 10 year service commitment. So you come in, we train you up, and then you spend 10 years in the Air Force. And you'll spend those first couple of years just flying, 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 building your hours. We call it seasoning, getting uh, your skills uh, perfected and, and just learning how to be a pilot um, and, and operate. <clears throat> and then depending on what type of airplane you're in, so if you're in a fighter or if you're in a C-17 or you're in a helicopter, you will do different upgrades. So you'll learn how to fly in some of these aircraft, you'll learn how to fly in formation. You'll learn how to fly low level, you know, right above the ground. You'll learn how to fly on night vision goggles and do air refueling and, and do these different upgrades. And then you become, an, if you're in a multi-place aircraft, you become an aircraft commander, kind of like the, a captain uh, would be in a commercial uh, aircraft. You become an aircraft commander. 
And then after that, a couple of years into that, you become an instructor pilot. And then, so you continue up and then you become an evaluator pilot. It's quite similar, I think, to the civilian pathway. So, so that can take pretty much your whole first 10 years doing all those steps, depending on what type of aircraft you're in. And then it's not just being a really good pilot that matters. We also want you to be a really good officer. Or if you're uh, on the enlisted side, we want you to be a really good uh, NCO, non-commissioned officer, like a, a within leadership on the enlisted side. And we look at you for the future, not just to be the best at your job, but also what, what can you bring to the military in terms of leadership capability. And oftentimes that means going off to other jobs that we um, give you other experiences. So when people talk about flying a desk, we may take you out of flying and send you to a headquarters, kind of like where I work right now, mm -hmm. or off to some professional military education that will build your knowledge as an airman in the Air Force, as a person who is in the leadership position or going into leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And as you go up, and you can apply, you, you can, um, we actually have a, a, a computer system that you can get on and you can say, this is what I'm interested in doing. And so when your supervisors look and say, okay, um, you know, Alyssa wants to, she's been flying a fighter aircraft, but she's also very interested in learning how to do strategy in, uh, you know, in Africa. Uh, and so we could put her onto you, you know, vector you to a staff position that would be working on strategy for the United States, working with African nations. And then you would go off and do those. So we, we do very deliberately develop you um, both as a pilot and as in that, in this case, an officer, or we deliberately develop you as a career enlisted aviator, let's say like a, um, a sensor operator on a, on a reconnaissance aircraft. And we develop you as an up and coming uh, non-commissioned officer. Uh, so we, we look at it in, in both directions, but yeah, there's a lot of crosstalk that goes on and there's a lot of opportunities. There's also opportunities for people who don't get an aircrew position initially to go into the Air Force and then apply. Right now, um, we're really, we're taking a lot of applicants to be pilots because there's a, a pilot shortage in the Air Force and we're working really hard to keep that pipeline going. So even if you come in and you come in um, as a completely different, say you come in as a personnel officer and uh, sort of like human relations as you would be in a, in a commercial uh, corporation, you can apply and cross train um, to be a pilot. So lots of opportunities there. Yeah, it sounds like, like I, I mean, I guess, you know, it's like the biggest company. You know, there are so many different things that, <laughs> that you can do. And they, I would think the military would put you in a position that you're naturally going to be good at and, and talented in those areas, or they see potential that you can be really good at that and, and, mm -hmm. can excel and that and they're going to match you up with the things that, that seem to fit. That's my take on it. Um, and it seems like a, just a huge amount of opportunities and things that all these different pathways that your career could take. That's right. Right. And we try really hard to do that. It's not a perfect system, but it's a very intentional system and leaders and supervisors really take that to heart to try to do the best we can for our airmen 
because it's an all it's an all volunteer force, and uh, we want careers or t you know uh, um, time spent in the military to be really rewarding. So we want to make it worthwhile. And like you said, use people's talents to the best of their ability in the jobs they want to do, um, and also for their families too, right? So as people come in younger, um, there's not as many families. Uh, associated with our, our incoming airmen, but as people go through their careers, they start families and families grow and then the families become a part of um, the, the overall um, development of our people as well because we want them to be happy and they, they move a lot and they you know put up with a lot of late nights and deployments and, and the like. So we want them to be happy as well. Yeah. So what do you do? What is the Air Force actually doing to try to recruit more more pilots. I know there's a pilot shortage like everywhere, but what sets the the path for the the Air Force um, military military to be able to try to recruit some of these people? Like, how are you doing that? Sure, we have a we have a bunch of programs um, that we're working on, and a lot of them are not solely to recruit pilots, but also to bring diversity into our pilot and our air crew force. So we are. Um, trying to, or we're going out and, and talking with um, different entities, whether it's Junior ROTC, uh, Reserve Officer Training Corps, JROTC in high schools, or uh, ROTC in the colleges, going out to um, NASCAR races, going out to uh, the um, different localities that may not necessarily have a lot of aviation in them. So for instance, if you grow up in an aviation centric area and you're exposed to it a lot and you see it, then you know, hey, that's something I could go do. Mm -hmm. um, but if you grow up somewhere, maybe like a very urban area or, or like, like, you know, in a big city mm -hmm. or, or something where you just don't realize that that's as, as much of an opportunity or you're living um, in just a part of the country that doesn't have a lot of aviation, we're also trying to get the message out to them. And so we literally go visit uh, these locations. I'm going next week um, out to visit a couple of colleges, universities, and um, I'm actually going to go to New Mexico and also meet with um, some of the diverse populations there to make sure that it's not just that we want to bring pilots on board, but we also want to have a really good representation of uh, the diversity that's in our population in America and that we want representing the Air Force. We have s several scholarship programs. And like you were saying, Natalie, uh, we have programs that we go and, and try to target populations that may be interested in flying, but just don't have an opportunity to. Yeah. So yeah. they can get um, pri uh, private pilot uh, hours or private pilot licenses and bringing the uh, the Air Force flying uh, to them as opposed to people having to come into flying. Yeah. And those are working, those are working very well. Um, and then of course, you know, media, podcasts, um, um, social media, uh, television. I mean, we, you know, recruiting um, videos and commercials. I don't know if you've seen the one that the chief staff of the Air Force, uh, General Brown, did recently uh, about pilots and, and, you know, our adversary doesn't care 
uh, when you when you put the helmet on and you get in the fighter plane, the adversary doesn't care if you're male or female, black, white, Asian. Um, you know that all they know is that you're an American airman kicking their butt, and yeah. that has been a really, really um, uh, well hard. received and positive um, uh, recruiting commercial force. But it's real; it really is that, and we talk about that too. And when I was flying in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, we would say, you know, hey, the 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 operators on the ground, both our Americans that we were supporting our coalition partners, as well as the adversary who we were targeting, is like they they didn't know or care whether it was a male or female or what your race was. Mm-hmm. Um, they just cared that the rounds were flying and the bullets were hitting the right place yeah. at the right time. And it worked out. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just think back to, you know, being in high school and I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And it's so mm-hmm. much pressure to make those choices and I remember like the army and like everybody would come and recruit I lived in a very like poor kind of small environment you know small town and and like everybody mm-hmm. was so pumped for them to be there you know but yeah. had, they actually had recruiters that were like these are all the really cool things that you could do and not just let's sign you up you know and like just be more focused on like you know I think there's testing out there, you know, whatever of like, what are you interested in? What do you like to do? What do you, you know, and I'm, I think about that. I'm like, if I would have done that, you could have just signed me right up because there's so many options that I see now and seeing Mm -hmm. people coming out of the military that, you know, don't really have a career in civilian life. I think like what better could their recruiter have done to get them in on a path that they either loved more or that they could carry into their civilian life. So mm-hmm. I just think about, you know, the recruiter's role in that. And I just thought a recruiter was just some guy trying to sign everybody up, but there's so much <laughs> to that. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and uh, the, that's true uh, that in the past, maybe that has been the case. We're definitely, um, taking a lot of steps to improve that and making sure that recruiters have all the tools available to them to be able to tell uh, people what is uh, what is available to them and how they can find a really fulfilling opportunity in the Air Force. And uh, recruiters are no longer just the uh, the guys and gals that you know do that mission for a couple of years and uh, work in the lo- local areas. Recruiters are also me and the Air Force leadership, the chief staff of the Air Force and the Air Force leadership, we developed a, a program called GO Inspire, capital G, capital O. So general officer, but it also uh, says go inspire. And there's a, an expectation that general officers are going to go into the communities and talk with people, talk with youth, talk with influencers, talk with um families of people who might be interested and so that we can also be part of that right because if i've been in for this many years and i have a lot of experience and stories to tell i can really help build out for young people what a real true career might be like in a in a a perspective um, that is just informed by a lot more time in the military so i consider myself a recruiter and it's really important for me to to tell that story trying to bring diversity uh, into flying and, and encouraging uh, groups that have, haven't necessarily had an opportunity to, to have exposure to flight 
or the opportunity to pursue careers to realize that, you know, that, that that's available to them. And I think, you know, for me and from the perspective of the Air Force from Air Education and Training Command, for me as a you know, general in the Air Force, that's, that's really the most important thing uh, to me and as a rep, you know, as a general officer in the Air Force is that um, our young people looking for a career in aviation, uh, particularly those who didn't think it was ever an opportunity for them or something that um, you had to come from a certain background or have a, you know, a certain, um, um, I don't know, approach to life or, or, or the like that you couldn't do it. And really what we want is as, as diverse uh, an Air Force as we can have so that it well represents America and it well represents the, um, the United States and the population that we're a part of and that we represent and that we defend. And so we're, we're working really actively to um, make, make that goal uh, a reality. Yeah. I know mm -hmm. with uh, my older son, and I think a lot of the younger people feel like the, um, the time commitment up front when they hear about signing up for the military is very mm -hmm. uh, overwhelming and hard for them to grasp. But I just try to try to say any time you're going to build a career, you have to put in time. Just think of it as a, you know, a, a building career time, not necessarily that you're like trapped in this, in this position, mm -hmm. but that you're going to have lots of opportunities to build upon, upon things. And I think if the younger mm -hmm. people could really think of it that way, no matter what you do, you are going to have to commit to something mm -hmm. in order to build a career. Sure. And when you're, I remember this for myself too. I mean, when you're 22, 23 years old, 10 years feels like a really long time because that's, that's half of the life you've already lived. And so it, in some ways it feels like an eternity, but um, a lot of people change careers or change paths in their thirties. They'll do something for a while, five years, eight years, 10 years, and then make a career change. And so while it seems daunting at first to have a 10 year commitment, it actually, for most people would probably tell you and, and me too, it, it just flies by. And yeah. all of a sudden you have all these capabilities in this training. And also we provide education benefits. Um, we provide a lot of opportunities to learn not just aviation, but uh, leadership and management. And we talked a little bit about that yes, you know, in, the, in our previous segment where there's a lot of opportunities to say, hey, I would like to learn more about how to be a leader, about how to do strategy, about how to do um, acquisition or learn the money side of things and budgeting. And these are all capabilities and skills that transfer across a multitude of careers or pathways. So even if you spend a few years in the Air Force, um, you can garner a lot of, of skills that go well beyond just being aircrew. And so that translates into the civilian world as well. And we don't expect all of our people who come into the Air Force to stay in the whole time. We, right. we expect a certain number will stay in for a career. And we expect a certain number will leave over time. And we have that data and those numbers. And um, I just, as a, a leader of an all-volunteer force, I am so appreciative of anybody who decides to raise their right hand and join even for a four-year enlistment, whether they stay in for one enlistment or stay in for 
20 or 30 years. Um, I'm just very appreciative of people who want to come in and do that. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, yesterday we talked about, you know, like, you know, you set, sign up for this five year and at the end of that, you know, you kind of shift into something else or, you know, I think there's just so many opportunities within and, you know, yes, you sign up for one thing and, and what serves you or serves where you're at at that time might change. And, and mm -hmm. I think um, it's ever like a, a learning process and growing process and through all of it. I think that's what I, I, sometimes I'm like, maybe I should still sign up. <laughs> you know, it's like the older I get, I'm like, man, that would have been a great I done that. I, I know. I was like, why didn't I sign up? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. But and I think bringing those opportunities to everybody with any background and you don't have to be this or that, and you don't have to just fly to be in the air force. There's so many opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. Sure. And we, we want to be an agile organization that takes into account the needs of our, our airmen, the people who are in uniform or our, our civilians, uh, uh, government service civilians, but also the families. And so I think, you know, my 30 years in the Air Force, I've seen the, uh, the desire to meet the needs of our airmen and our families really grow and become a very important part of what we do. And so that feedback is there. We have you know, surveys, we have town hall meetings, we have ways in which airmen can communicate with leadership and social media is a huge one. There's a lot of social media pages that are either for particularly niche groups like you know, women fighter pilots mm -hmm. or larger groups like women officers or women in the service or women in aviation. Mm -hmm. And all of these groups, you have uh, all ranges of age and rank and experience talking to each other. And that really informs the policies that we pursue at senior levels. We want to hear the voices of our younger generation and we want to be agile so that we become the Air Force they need to be. I, <clears throat> there's a, a, a common theme that I use when I'm talking with younger people who are interested either in coming into the Air Force or have just started. And it, they, they'll ask, you know, what, what's the one thing that you, you wish you had known or that you would share with us um, looking back? And the, the thing that I say is when, when I first came in, and it was quite different as we talked about, you know, women weren't allowed in combat and it was uh, really kind of more challenging to be a female and, and coming in, there's a lot more pushback. Uh, and a lot of times you would hear this phrase, well, we're not gonna let women fly combat aircraft, not in my air force. Mm -hmm. And this phrase, not in my air force. And people would say that even retired people that were like not even in the air force anymore. Um, and, and people who had been in, in the air force for, for a long time and were not very flexible in their ideas and they would say not my air force and so as a junior officer i kept thinking well I, I am this anomaly in their air force and i kept uh looking at at it as i was on the outside of the air force looking in and not really feeling this feeling of no it's my air force too i put on the uniform every day i show up i deploy i do, do the things um, that other airmen do, I always felt like it was their Air Force. And now I tell them, no, it is your Air Force. The day you join, it is your Air Force and it will be your Air Force for the next five, 10, 20, 30 years. And um, do what you need to do today so that you can make the Air Force what we need it to be in the future, you know, 2030, 2040. 
Um, don't wait to feel like, okay, now I belong and now I can do something about it. It belongs to you the day you join. So mm -hmm. I love that. Is there anything else? I was, one of the things I was going to ask you was a, a words of wisdom or piece of advice, but it sounds like kind of what you just said, but do you have anything else that maybe for uh, women that are that want to get in aviation and they aren't really sure about the military or any kind of pieces of advice or words of wisdom? Sure. Um, talk to each other and venues like this, like podcasts, like um, social media, any sort of um, organizations like Women Aviation International or, or professional AOPA, professional organizations where younger interested people can get together with more experienced or seasoned people or people who are just in, you know, in the middle of their, like you two both started your flying, your aviation careers at, you know, in the middle of life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, okay, I, you know, at 16, I yeah. started flying lessons, et cetera, and, and off you went. Yeah. Um, and there's, everybody comes at a career in aviation from a, from a slightly different perspective. Some of us may have similar goals or wants or desires, but um, we're all, all unique people. And the more we talk to each other and share those stories, um, the, we, the more we can support each other and get things done, especially when it's hard. And when you're doing this stuff, that's really hard to do. Like if you have a hard time, you know, doing, um, uh, um, you know, visual patterns or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you, you just need somebody else to talk to. There's somebody out there who has been through this before and to have those mentors and to share the things that you're having trouble with. And then also to share the successes and to say, Hey, I passed my first check ride or, you know, Hey, I just got my instrument call. I mean, it's important that we that we uh, have this community these communities and that we support each other so to me that's the most important thing and it's something that was lacking um when i came in uh long ago and i'm so glad to see that that has changed and that's why i really enjoy being a part of it so thank you very very much for enabling me to spend some time with you and offer that support out there to uh to all the women out there that are interested in the career in aviation or are in aviation and more, maybe even in more senior leadership roles who grapple with the challenges associated with being in, in senior leadership or management and, um, and, and what that's like as well. So I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, I loved it. I love to hear everybody's story. And like you mm -hmm. said, they're kind of everyone has a unique pathway and um, that's one of our goals. I feel like Alyssa and I want to share everyone's stories so that people know anything, you know, is possible. There's such a wide range of, of opportunities and to use, you know, this information to help you make decisions. Sure. Sure. It's terrific. Thank you for doing this. It's a really important, um, it's a really important mission you have. And I, I feel honored to have been a small part of it. Well, yeah. thank you. Can you tell us or tell the audience where they could find you or what, you know, if you're, I don't know if there's a uh, Air Force particular website for women that may be interested or anything like that, that you think would be helpful? Uh, okay. Yes. I can um, provide that to you. Uh, I, and we definitely have uh, places to go. We have like websites on, on Facebook. We have uh, AETC um, the Air Education and Training Command Facebook site. We have atc.mil on Google. And, um, or if you um, aim high and go to the Air Force page or the aim high uh, webpage, 
those are are, um, definitely easy ways to look into this. And I can also provide you some more specific um, uh, links and uh, ways to contact us as well through, probably through Kenya. Okay, yeah, we will uh, get that information. To it and yeah, that would be really awesome just because I think it's really important to have all of the um, available access to all of these things you know if we yeah. can put it out there and help somebody then we've done sure our hey that, that would awesome. be great i appreciate that mm-hmm. thank you so much brenda i really enjoyed it and i wish you lots of lots of success going forward it sounds like you've had an amazing career and um i think that that's amazing and you're just a great person for people to look up to and um i think what you've done is wonderful Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, Alyssa. I really appreciate the time. You ladies have a great evening. All right. You too. Bye. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers.